0: Hey everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary.
1: Pretty Scary Boo!
0: I am Adam Todd Brown.
1: And I... I'm Caitlin Cut.
0: And we're your hosts.
1: <gasps> we are.
0: Caitlin, how's it going?
1: I'm happy. It's the holidays. I don't even care if there's a pandemic going on. I enjoy the holidays. I do.
0: I, oh, I I love the holidays. It, it feels like the the finish line. And who doesn't love reaching a finish line?
1: <laughs> especially and, this year, actually. <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially this year. I'm, I'm coming off a weird illness. You'll have to listen to the outtakes to, to yep. f- hear me and Caitlin discuss all of that. Mm-hmm. And so to just lighten the mood, I know everyone's, everyone's kind of down. You can't see your family. God, it might be irresponsible of us to do this episode right now. We are talking about Bud no. Dwyer.
1: I don't think it's irresponsible of us because so
0: here's, here's what I want to yeah. say. Top of this episode.
1: Great. Don't, don't
0: be Bud Dwyer. Don't, don't do don't what be. Bud Dwyer did, please.
1: Well, and what? In your opinion, aside from the grand finale of it, which I shouldn't call it that, but I don't care right now. But the big question that I have on my mind that I wanted to ask you, even at the top of this conversation, is what was the mistake that Bud Dwyer makes?
0: Oh, I mean, the mistake he like, what what do you in what way? Like in terms of like his career, I I feel like we're jumping a little bit ahead.
1: We are. Okay. This is what I want to say. I think that this documentary is a cautionary tale that all of us can get something out of because it is about a person who put too much trust in things outside of himself and too much trust in a system. And I think that's the, ultimately the biggest mistake that he made. I, I, which is like such a sad thing to say because I want to be a person that is like open and I am open to the world, but what's odd to me is this, this figure, this, this Bud Dwyer person, this Bud Dwyer person entering into politics with that mindset. And that's, there's such a naivety in there that I just, I can't, I can't reconcile it. And the way it ends kind of makes sense. It's horrible. But like if you go into the world of politics with assuming everything's going to be straightforward, you're going to have a crisis of reality. Like you're going to have an existential break.
0: If you Go in, like, let's be honest, we are in the United States. If you go into politics thinking you're going to help people and change things, you're probably going to die. And that's what happens to Bud Dwyer. But what I want to talk about first is you had never heard of this story. This happened in 1987. So it was huge, huge news When I was a kid and I always like whenever there's a story like this, where someone's like, no, I'm not familiar with that. I'm always like, how can you not be familiar with that? And I don't know what I'm expecting. Like, they're not going to teach Bud Dwyer in school, I hope. So, like, I don't know where I would have expected you would have heard this story in retrospect. So how did this end up on your radar in 2020?
1: I love this question because I have the best answer for it.
0: Oh, I'm excited.
1: So I was on Facebook, which was a mistake. It is a mistake, generally speaking. Always. But because my searches are what they are outside of this podcast, it's also part of my professional life. Mm -hmm. I get these weird listicles of like, and normally I can bypass them. Like some of them are super depressing. Like the last 10 pictures of Princess Diana. I'm like, no, I don't.
0: Oh, have you seen the one that's uh, the final pictures of serial killer's victims?
1: Yeah, like I'm good. Like I don't. But, but for whatever reason, there was this listicle that was like the most disturbing moments in media, and there was a photo of what looked like a monster crawling out of the ocean, eating something on the side of a canyon, and I was like, "Well, that's the photo I want." So, and I knew what it meant. I knew it was at the end of the slideshow. Like I'm not, I'm not a child. I understand how this works. (laughs) I, I I embarked on this mission with my eyes wide open. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm bopping through and it's like, Oh, weird photos from the St. Valentine's day massacre, which by the way, is going to tie into our bone con episode coming up. (laughs) Sure does. Um, but then it showed this portly dude holding up this really aggressive looking handgun. And it was the Bud Dwyer story. And this story was, I was two. Yeah. So that explains. I mean, I was busy, Adam. I had shit going on. I was learning how to talk. I was, I mean, it's no excuse, but solid foods. I'll take it. I'm glad you have something
0: to say for yourself.
1: We both know I lack stick to itiveness. Okay. So, and then I'm offering that up to the listeners. Sure, sure. But so, so I read this like, I, the other sidebar here is that these these stories were so poorly written that there were typos in them, and I'm I'm the typo queen. So if I'm noticing typos, there were probably way more that other people picked up on. Right. And there was that Diana, like last Diana photo from the tunnel that was, you know, all that shit. But anyway, so I'm reading this Budwire story, and I texted you. I was like, "Do you know this story?" And your response was so great. You're like, "Of course." <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, okay, as, there's a, as my... There's as a my
0: filter song about this story.
1: Which you sent me immediately and I listened to. Which, like, look, as my cosmic older brother, I can accept sure. that kind of response from you. And I was like, okay, so this is this is a bigger deal than I'm even realizing. So I looked into it. And then you were like, there's a documentary about it. And I was like, what?
0: And I think I even said at the time... It's the saddest documentary ever.
1: And to which I replied, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. So that's that's how we ended up with this story. Um, the documentary is on Amazon Prime. Yep.
0: It's called Honest Man, The Life of R. Bud Dwyer. And it's I-
1: not, it's not a big time investment. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. It's it's really, really not that long. Um It'll, but in that, it'll in get get that you hour, in the,
0: it'll get you in the feels. That's for in sure. In that
1: hour and 15 minutes, this whoever got the access to this story, I mean, he's got she, he or she, I, I didn't look, I apologize, but it's the, his wife and both of his kids, plus an attorney friend of his, which becomes very important at a certain point. We'll cover that in a minute. And then just other people that knew him throughout his life. And it's it's really sad.
0: It's it's very sad, and I feel like we should warn people up top who are not familiar with Bud Dwyer.
1: Yes, we should.
0: That uh, one. The, the he, let me just run through the the two sentence version of this story. He was a state politician in Pennsylvania. Ended his political career as the state treasurer of Pennsylvania in 1987. And when I say ending his political career. It's worth mentioning that he did that by committing suicide in front of a bunch of television cameras.
1: Like on live TV, basically. Yeah. I mean well,
0: uh, That's that's the thing. We'll get to that part. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. hundred percent. But like
0: it it was like it was one of the defining moments of my childhood. I remember like everyone saw that's the thing. So many people saw this footage. Like you can still go see it on YouTube, and there's there's a you an,
1: can and I and I have I saw it. Uh,
0: there's an interesting reason why you can see the full unedited version on YouTube, and we'll talk right. about that at the end also. But sure, it's uh yeah, Bud Dwyer is the guy that killed himself on TV. Basically, he set up a press conference, gave a a big long speech, and then pulled out a comically large gun.
1: It is like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit size gun. It's a Magnum 350. I, I, I genuinely, I don't know another way to say it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a dirty, hairy gun. But if you don't know this <laughs> reference, you're not going to get dirty, hairy, probably.
1: I, I think it's interesting that I had never heard about this. I mean, I understand why this isn't something that came up in casual conversation. Um, And we could come back to this part of the conversation because I, I think it's important to discuss. And, and we will. But... When I saw the photo on this dumb listicle article, it creeped me out. I mean, because it has that like he is a very he is an aggressively normal looking person. I mean, right. w- it was, politicians don't look like this guy anymore, like at all. So I think that's important to notice. And it's he's got those like hot, hot press lights on him and the podium is in front of him and he's holding the gun up. And the photo is really what drew me in because I was like, I don't know what this is. And this is so, no pun intended, disarming and creepy.
0: Yeah, and it's, I don't really have this in the notes so we can riff on it for a second. One of the things that comes up in the documentary is, well, why didn't someone tackle him? Like, why didn't you do it? Because there was a room full of people. And nope, like, at least one person in the documentary is like, man, you don't know if he's going to start shooting people. You don't know why he brought that gun, you can't put that on a room full of people to go tackle Bud Dwyer, who was also a giant, giant man.
1: He's super tall. He looks like six, four, six, five. Like he's he's
0: a big dude, He's a big dude. And he had the biggest gun.
1: I think the other thing that's unfair, the family puts this on the press in that way that we're there in that moment. You know, this was happening during like the postal service breakdowns, like people freaking out of it. Like right in the middle of it. Um, let me tell you something. The thing that is miraculous about that press conference is that people didn't run out completely. Right. That's that's the that is the part that struck me. But let's get to that. Let's start with the beginning. The yeah, way the, Charles the way Charles Dickens would want us to tell the story, Adam.
0: I mean, if there is an apt comparison for this podcast, it's Charles <laughs> Dickens.
1: Charles Dickens. Stephen King, Adam, Caitlin, pretty scary.
0: Boo. Boo. So Bud Dwyer, like he, he starts out his life as just a, a regular politician. He at one point during college takes a trip to Poland and gets like freaked out by seeing communism in action. So Which just, is the
1: most 80s crisis. Absolutely. This this whole story is a container for 80s anxiety. The whole.
0: Oh, Yeah story. And so he decides to run for state assemblyman in Pennsylvania. And in this documentary, there's lots of character witnesses, is what I would call them, but it's his family and like people who knew him and people he worked with. And they all talk about how he was a good politician. Like he was an actual good politician who if there was if his one of his constituents had a problem, he would deal with it. And his daughter talks about how good of a father he was. He at one point drove five hours each way to just to attend a school play that she had like a bit part in, but he worked away from the family. So five days a week, he was working as a politician. Then he would come
1: home. Can I make a comment on that? Yes. I have to say that as a married person, and maybe people are going to get angry at me for saying this, but. I get why that would work really well because there's a lot of stuff when you're married and you have a kid or kids that frankly require the salary of another person, but the mind of one person <laughs> yeah. sounds terrible, but like you get into this like really good groove when you're married, when it's going well, where it's like, okay, I'm the schedule person and you're the person that receives the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, and I, and it's so sweet because they, they interview his wife and they also have archival footage of his wife prior to his death. Yeah. And it's, it's very obvious that they're just a really good team. Like, and that's, that's really what marriage is, is like, okay, like your, your job is to do this, your, this is your profession. This is how you're making money. And we're just going to love each other as hard as possible. Also, like, it's kind of nice, like this thought of like, multiple nights a week you just get nights to yourself (laughs) yeah it's really terrible but like you have the bed to yourself like like i get it
0: space isn't the worst thing in it's not in any relationship
1: like when people are like oh these rich people they've got different wings of the house like i get it like i totally i fell asleep on the couch last night and i was living my best life (laughs) it was great because I had today off, so I was like, "Good night, everybody. I'm gonna, you know, yeah, be yeah. up late and fall asleep out here, and it'll be fine." Anyway, yeah. that's a weird tangent, but like, well,
0: by all appearances, that's a good life. They were a, a happy couple. Yeah, it, it was a happy family. He was a good dad. He loved his kids. Like, no one in this documentary makes any complaints about Bud Dwyer as a person. No, nope. and I think it's important that they that they included all this because. There, There is a uh, a certain crowd when it comes to this story who's like, yeah, but I think he did take that bribe. And like, so what? If he took yeah. the bribe or not, you have to, like, I beg you to watch this documentary because even if he took that bribe, the way he was about to be punished compared to how everyone else involved was punished was like a borderline war crime.
1: So talk about, for our wonderful listeners, talk to people about what he was accused of and and what what that encompassed.
0: Well, he was basically accused of agreeing to take a $300,000 bribe in exchange for rewarding a computer contract to this shady asshole that we'll talk about in a second. And he was never... I don't think anyone ever accused him of taking the money. Mm -mm. It was just suggested that he agreed he would at some point. Right. But there's an incident before this that kicks everything off. When he ends up running for state treasurer of Pennsylvania, one of the first things he does is set up a government waste hotline. Like that was his thing. He wanted the government to stop wasting taxpayer dollars on unnecessary shit.
1: Well, and frankly, he was a good Republican. Like this is this is how Republicans tout themselves. And he was actually doing it like he was genuinely doing it. Yeah. Right. I mean, like this, he's he's like literally what people who identify as Republicans think other Republican politicians are like, that's what this guy was doing.
0: Yeah, and what's especially sad about this part is he's kind of forced into being that. Because mm-hmm. here's here's what happens. He sets up this hotline. He's He's really focused on government waste. And at one point, the people in the office that's responsible for reviewing expenses that are submitted by the various politicians in the state notice that the governor... A guy named Dick Thornburg who really lives up. What to a his name. name! Yeah. What a name! They find out that he's been trying to expense his wife's travel as <sighs> a government expense.
1: His son's travel.
0: No. Both. Th- ki- no. There's there's two. Different oh, you're right. You're incidents. right. You're right. I'm yeah. so sorry.
1: No, no, no. You're right. It's he's worse than.
0: There's yeah. there's the the wife incident where he tried to expense a bunch of her plane tickets. And Bud Dwyer isn't the one who found that. Nope. It was brought to him by people who worked under him and it was his job to say yes or no. And he was like, Yeah, of course we're not gonna pay for that. But then during a like a press conference or an interview or something, he's kind of forced into responding to yeah, this incident. That's right. Because it hadn't he wasn't trying to make it public, but somehow it got out. And a reporter asks about it and he says, Well, yeah, we're not gonna pay that and dick thornburg takes it as him calling him out publicly like he was attacking him publicly when the governor was like well why wouldn't you just do it privately and he was like he was forced into it and then another reporter brings it to bud dwyer's attention that the police have complained because dick thornburg is making them drive his sons to and from college
1: And this is where I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, I'm fine with, and I am, and I'll say this. I am fine with fudging shit. Like, we're all human beings. But when you're having cops act like taxi cab drivers, that's just weird. It's just weird. Like, it's stupid, but it's weird.
0: Yeah, just hire a security guard to drive your kids to school.
1: Or just get an actual cab. Like, I, I don't, I don't get why that he pretended
0: the it was for security reasons it's like no one wants your shitty kids governor dick
1: it's just gross like it's how that didn't register as an overstep is says all we need to know about this person in my opinion the wife shit whatever i actually don't care but the kids no yeah that's that's really really weird it's just weird it's so weird. Like, oh, sorry. Hey, Frank, how come you showed up to school in a cop car? Oh, well, my yeah, dad. What kind of, what kind of like, kid
0: wants to show up to school in a cop that's, car? That's
1: what I don't understand. Is he, Are they dropping him yeah. off a block away? Like oh, the Narc this...
0: brothers are here. Cool.
1: Like, what a bunch of dorks.
0: Hello, fellow teens.
1: There's no way that this wasn't everywhere. Yeah. I know this is such a small world. Everybody knew that these kids were being taken around by cops. It's freaking creepy and dumb and dorky. And and so Bud Dwyer
0: is kind of forced into addressing all of this publicly. And the governor gets very mad about it. And as if by magic, that's when these rumors of him taking kickbacks start. Yes. Like yeah. almost out of nowhere, these rumors of him being a corrupt politician start. We are so probably like, tied. Those two things are probably tied together.
1: If you are shuttling your children with cop cars in that community, there is no mystery about how that rumor gets spread because the moms know all about it. And if the moms know all about it, everyone knows all about it. Seriously, that's it's yeah. not that hard to figure out.
0: So the next thing that happens is they well, Bud wins reelection. election despite all of these corruption rumors. And in the documentary, this is the point where they say Bud Dwyer was too trusting of people. Yep. He would see any constituent who showed up at his office, even if it was a lying criminal who specialized in bribing people so he could have them in his pocket. And that's basically who shows up at his his office, a guy named John R. Torquato Jr., who looks like the shady guy who shows up to bribe you in a movie.
1: He looks like John R. Torquato Jr.
0: Yeah. He's who (laughs) who Brad Pitt would hang out with if he was about to play a guy who bribes politicians. Like, this is the dude you would want to meet.
1: His face looks like it's being sucked into a black hole. (laughs) Because it is. Yeah, no, that's what his soul His soul, his soul is trying to escape through his face. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: he describes himself as a book salesman, which seems weird. What
1: the fuck is a book salesman? Can we talk about this for a second? It like, looked
0: like he sold like motivational books and things because they showed some of the titles and they were like, just win, baby. Uh, I mean, that's like...
1: That's such a weird job. I feel like this is a whole rabbit hole that you and i could dive down into is like things that were sold door to door oh yeah because, sure. because I, I i think like vacuums are one thing right because you can show you can dump shit in some lady's living room and suck it up and whatever right but books are tough <laughs>
0: like- well here's why books were so easy to sell back around even this time is people are always like what did people do before the internet I'll tell you what you did, and I mean this sincerely. You bought a set of encyclopedias every fucking year.
1: And if I you, remember.
0: If I remember that. you didn't, you just didn't know shit that year. Like I, you didn't, I understand. You didn't have the updated information. But so like, someone I'll, would show up with them and you'd be like, oh, yeah, we should. We should update them.
1: But, like, it's just hard for me to imagine, like, a book salesman to show up with, like, Ruby Fruit Jungle <laughs> and be like, look, just trust me. <laughs> Yeah, how did that go? Well, I also I also
0: think it wasn't his actual job. Of course not. This guy was a con man.
1: I know, but like, my brain is opening up to so many possibilities. Like, if somebody held a gun to your face and you wanted to lie about your job, they're like, "What do you do?" You're like, "Uh, "I'm a book salesman." (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: a weird job, that's for sure.
1: It's super weird.
0: Uh, His dad was also an alleged mafia leader in Western Pennsylvania, so there was that. that
1: That kind of book
0: salesman. And this is the guy at the center of the scandal that ends up taking down Bud Dwyer. He started a company called Computer Technology Associates, and he wanted a contract with the Pennsylvania schools. And he wanted this lawyer friend. He was basically looking for a contact to get in touch with Bud Dwyer because Torquato was a Democrat. Bud Dwyer's a Republican. Yep. He needs to bridge that gap. All his contacts are Democrats. So he lands on this lawyer named William Smith, who is in the documentary and talks at length about what he did in this case. Sure. And he approaches Torquato approaches William Smith to offer Dwyer and wants him to offer Dwyer a $300,000 bribe. And Smith says... He went to Dwyer's office and told him that this client of his wants to make a $300,000 contribution to Dwyer's campaign. And he claims Bud Dwyer was like, all right, that doesn't sound that bad. And that's kind of all Bud Dwyer is accused of. That's it. That's it. Like he, even if all of that is true and it's very much in doubt as to whether that is true. Like I swear, even in the course of this documentary, William Smith at one point is like, "Yeah, yeah, that happened," and then yep. later is like, mm, no. "Yeah, not really." Like because what a lot of people interviewed in this imply is that William Smith probably just stole the money. Yeah, and didn't he stole the money and didn't ever approach Bud Dwyer. And worth noting, William Smith is not only in this documentary, but he's clearly a lawyer again.
1: Yeah, and William Smith is, uh, okay, I'm not going to jump the gun. I don't want to spoil that part, the arc of William Smith.
0: Uh, Right, yeah. Well, I mean, we can tell people now. Like, do you mean the part where he testifies against Bud Dwyer?
1: Yeah, and then his testimony is gone, doesn't exist anymore.
0: It's, he at one point during Bud Dwyer's trial, because I actually don't think I have all of that in the notes, but William Smith Here's why he's so important. Not only this part where he's the one who's approached to make the bribe. At one point, he's on trial before Bud Dwyer, and he says in that trial that Bud Dwyer was willing to accept this bribe. And that's what gets Bud Dwyer prosecuted, basically. But then he later admits that that was a lie. He said he lied during that trial. And then during this trial, well, for one thing, during the documentary, he implies he was getting like threats on his wife and kids from like prosecutors and John Torquato. And he breaks down on the stand and starts crying and says, I I will do anything to save my wife and kids. And he like basically confesses to making up this testimony and all of that disappears from the court transcript.
1: Here's the thing about this lawyer. Actually, I'll say this about everything in this documentary every person in this documentary it's the most normal looking group of people I have seen on tele like on a screen in a really long time like yeah and what it made me think about is how much image has taken over uh in 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 politics and I know that that's maybe that's like a simplistic thing to say out loud but I think if you watch the documentary you'll understand what I'm saying like people who look like individuals that you'd be in line at the DMV with could run for office at a certain point that, that, that was, and it wasn't that long ago. We're talking 30 years ago, like 35 years ago. And we don't live in that America anymore. Like even Ted Cruz has like a scary Marvel villain beard right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's not good.
1: Oh, okay. So, but here's what I was going to say is that this, this documentary is really sad because it's sad on one level, because you are really dealing with like a class of people that weren't expecting the hammer to come down as hard at all. Like none of these people were expecting this to happen. It's, it's very, very obvious. Right. And when the pressure gets put on at that level, at that time, you see the panicked decisions that people make and it destroys everyone's lives, not just Bud Dwyer's. Like Everyone in this documentary is fucked over by what happened.
0: Yeah. Like one of the other things that we, we kind of skipped over that happens to William Smith is at one point, this prosecutor, Jim West, who is a piece of shit. He prosecuted a case that uh, involved other people who were involved in a similar scandal. And Mm -hmm. he tells This William Smith guy that, uh, oh, you know who we're going to prosecute next? Your wife. And this guy's like, fuck. And so he, Jim West is like, but we won't if you can just get Bud Dwyer to resign.
1: He's also told that he's going to come home to find his son floating in his pool.
0: Right. He's told that if he uh, showed up at the, I think the, the Bud Dwyer trial, which he did anyway, but he also lied at the trial and so he he's told that they're going to prosecute his wife next unless he can get bud dwyer to resign and bud dwyer is like no i'm not i'm not gonna do that so jim west pushes forward with prosecuting this case and what's crazy about that part of it is this prosecution is based on one this alleged story from william smith which is like basically hearsay right
1: It's if anybody is listening to this and they're confused, you should be confused because what this guy is accused of and convicted of we've already said it is what we dream of politicians being convicted of. Now, I think that's, what's the most heartbreaking thing about this story is like, why aren't more politicians held to these things like in this way? And why was it Bud Dwyer? Because in a, it, (laughs)
0: it's pretty apparent in this documentary that it was Bud Dwyer because they had a vendetta against Bud Dwyer. Like the governor didn't appreciate being called out the way he was publicly or what he perceived to be being called out as being called out publicly. What, But what's crazy about the things Bud Dwyer are accused of, what I was getting at was not only is it just this story from William Smith where he says, oh yeah, I asked him about a bribe and he said he'd be willing to take one. Also, they raid John Torquato Jr. after that. And on his computer, they find all these plots and plans to bribe Bud Dwyer. And they're like, well, see, obviously Bud Dwyer's involved.
1: The book salesman (laughs) has written out his bribe. He's like, file A7. No, delete that. I'm going to name it how to bribe Bud Dwyer. Send.
0: And like... That somehow this prosecutor sees this and goes, oh, well, yeah, Bud Dwyer was obviously involved.
1: And it's like the, the, I could
0: write down plans to rob a bank with Caitlin on a piece of paper and take it to Jim West. And he would prosecute is, you for planning to rob a bank. So basically. many people
1: who listen to this podcast have no idea what it was like to operate a computer in the 80s.
0: There was no internet. He wasn't was, sending those was, files anywhere. It
1: wasn't going anywhere. And he when might you as well have been
0: putting that up on a bulletin board in his bedroom.
1: Yeah, when you type things, it was like blah, 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 blah. It was like the loudest yeah. enterprise that you could endeavor. And
0: oh, I couldn't oh. afford one because they were also like thirty six hundred dollars.
1: They were $3,600 in the 80s. All they did was type documents that you could print out on a printer that was the size of five Jansport backpacks. I don't know another way to explain it.
0: So it was worthless evidence. It was
1: pointless. But Dwyer would never have known this document existed. There's, there's no Google Forms. There's nothing. Well,
0: yeah, that's what's so crazy about it. They took Ugh. someone's fanfic about bribing Bud Dwyer as evidence <laughs> that Bud Dwyer was involved in a bribery scheme. I know people listening to this are thinking, okay, well, there's got to be something else coming. Like, there's nope. something else Bud Dwyer did.
1: There's nope. nothing that's it. else coming. He, and it hit him so hard.
0: And even Jim West at one point on television acknowledges that Bud Dwyer never took any money.
1: Not the documentary on television. On television
0: at the time. Yes. Says, yeah, he didn't take any money, but he doesn't have to. And it's like, doesn't he? It feels like he should have to. But no, because they end up getting an indictment. And that part is really shady, too, because what they did to get this indictment is for some reason asked for a venue change. And they moved it to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is like the sticks. They, like, if you're entitled to a jury of your peers, Bud Dwyer did not get that. Because that, like, I'm going to use the words of the people being interviewed in the documentary. These were people mostly not even high school educated, Mm -hmm. very rural, very critical of the government, and basically the kind of people who would hear Corrupt politician and go. Yeah, that must be true.
1: I, I think. I think the reason why this documentary hits so hard and this piece of the documentary hits so hard is that this is this is a crisis that we're facing in our country right now. Because if we're basing our judicial system on the ability for people to be judged by a jury of their peers, and we have such a gap in education, what does that even mean? I mean, seriously.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very valid question.
1: And this. This, I think, is the reason why someone like me doesn't find out about it until it's on a listicle. This this is the question. Nothing else, like literally nothing else. I think I think when you start to have a conversation about what does a jury of your peers mean and and the fact that the defense is is the team and the prosecution, they can collude to figure out. I mean, it's. It's a very like they say in the documentary, it's like, yeah, somebody who gladly gives up, you know, 40 days of their job. Well, what, that's that's not a knowledge base that you can bring to a story like this. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it's not just that, but this trial, the two star witnesses against him are the other two people implicated in this crime.
1: Which is so wrong. I mean, like that. Um, I, I don't think you can do that now. Oh, it's
0: horrible. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you could do that now. You can't but,
1: actually. I know that you can't. You can't. But basically, William Smith,
0: William Smith, and John Torquato Jr. are the star witnesses <laughs> against Bud Dwyer, and like he ends up losing the case. Like also, uh, yeah, the other thing I didn't mention, they go through this whole the the prosecution presents their case and Bud Dwyer's defense is like, ah, eh, they didn't prove their case enough. We don't have to we don't have to do anything. And they just rested the case. They didn't present any defense. And so Bud Dwyer now is like, "Oh, I'm going to go to prison. That's what's going to happen here." Like
1: not just go to prison. He's going to lose he loses his he knows that he's going to lose his pension. He's going to lose his ability to take care of his family and his wife when he retires, which is he was a state employee as a, as a teacher. Prior to entering into public life, and I think they say something like it's a $1 million pension, one one and a half or something like that.
0: That's the thing. Bud Dwyer was tried alongside the head of the Pennsylvania Republican Party. They were both found guilty. The Pennsylvania Republican Party guy was sentenced to one-year probation and a fine. Bud Dwyer was facing multiple decades in prison and they were going to strip him of his pension and like any benefits for his family. And he had already been financially wrecked by this legal trial.
1: For literally going, eh. Yeah. For that's be- it.
0: That's it. And that's it, all they had. And because the state had a vendetta against him.
1: He's a- guy but dwyer was a very nice guy
0: he was and
1: and i and i think what crushed him was his heartbreak about his vision for america and i think that's the most important thing to talk about well ultimately i,
0: I think what crushed him is the prospect of what was happening to him was going to do to his family
1: That's what I'm saying is it
0: it's important. Like we already said it, but he was broke from this trial and all of his future earnings were going to be taken away. He was going to go to prison for decades and his family was just going to have to fend for themselves.
1: But that's what I mean. Like you're not just dealing with financial ruin. You're not just dealing with your family legacy being crushed. You're dealing with the fact that your ideology that you've spent and, and, and invested in is, is, is the thing that's killing you. I mean, that's, that's traumatic. Yeah, I've, I have lived that, and it's 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 not surprising to me that the, that this story ends the way that it does. I, I hate to say it, but I yeah. Not. So
0: so he gets convicted, and the thing about Pennsylvania law is he doesn't have to resign until he's sentenced. So he's mm-hmm. technically still in office mm-hmm. while he's awaiting sentencing. There's a very sad part in the documentary where they show him going home for basically one last Christmas and he still looks like absolutely nothing's wrong. But they also mention that while he was home, he breaks out a typewriter and is like just typing shit every day. And they were like, oh yeah, whatever. He's probably typing his resignation letter or something. And no, he was actually typing out the script for a press conference. Oh. He was planning to hold. And so he announces this press conference for January 22nd, 1987. And like some of his friends and supporters are like, oh, yeah, we're going to come down with you. And he's like, no, 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 don't come. It'll be fine.
1: He tells He tells everyone he loves to basically stay away as far as possible.
0: Right. But even then, everyone just assumes he's going to announce his resignation. So the cameras show up and he... Starts the press conference, and he reads this really long statement, Mm -hmm. and then he gives three of his aides envelopes that we later find out are letters for his wife and two kids. Oh, my God. And after giving those three aides the envelope, he pulls out a gigantic yellow envelope, opens it, and out of that, he pulls a as mentioned earlier, comically large gun.
1: It's such
0: a big gun. It's a 357 Magnum, which, it, Google it. So he pulls out this gun, and it seems like he wants to just keep talking. Like, they mentioned that in the documentary, that he seemed like, seemed to think he was going to be able to keep reading because there was more to his statement. And he pulls out the gun, and the room obviously freaks out. And he's telling people to not approach him. And I get the sense people are actually kind of approaching him.
1: Yes, because if somebody in front of me that I knew was a good man pulled out a gun, I would know what was happening.
0: Yeah. As people are starting to approach, he's telling them to stay away. And you can tell he knows people aren't going to stop approaching. So he puts the gun in his mouth and pulls the trigger. And cameras were rolling the whole time.
1: What's crazy is the documentary shows the whole thing.
0: It shows the whole thing, including the part where one of the cameras for a second focuses on his face after yeah. he shot himself. And there is blood coming out of all of his head holes. <laughs> like the the, yeah. the natural, yeah. natural and unnatural ones both. And it's like. It looks like something you would see in a movie because you don't normally see that kind of thing in real life. Nope. And it is, I do not encourage people to go, like, if you watch this documentary, you're going to see it. But if you're not going to watch this documentary, don't go watch the Bud Dwyer suicide out of curiosity. Like it's not, it's not going to bring anything to your life. I mean, unless no. you're already numb to that kind of violence because of YouTube, which that's a whole other discussion for
1: no, I'm, a couple I'm not minutes. Even...
0: It is worth noting, though, because Bud Dwyer was in office when this happened, because he uh-huh. hadn't resigned, not only did his family still get his pension, his wife got an insurance payment of $1.28 million. Largest death benefit ever paid at the time. And I bring that up not to... Uh, be like, hey, hey, silver lining. But because it's suggested in the documentary by several people that that was his motivation. Like he at least wasn't going to let these people take that from him. So no. he killed himself in front of TV cameras. So his family could be financially secure.
1: The Oof. American dream.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I, I don't know. I, let me ask you a question. I mean, I don't even know how to ask this question. So looking at the end result of this man's story, I mean, I'm a big believer in like where you're putting your energy is where your, I guess, faith is or your processes are. I don't know. I mean, it's really weird to watch something like this for me. My dad's dad committed suicide and he died in a, he shot himself in a car, in the family car, like on top of a a hill. It was just, you know, I I never met him. Yeah. Um, the reverberation of that suicide into my life has been profound. I mean, this is a person's death who you know, this is a person who I I never met. And his death and the actions that he took affected me because of how it affected my dad. Um and then, you know, it wasn't handled well at all because it had happened, I think I want to say in the early seventies and Nothing was handled well in the early 70s when it came to mental health. Um, and I honestly can't imagine, especially under Reagan, that that, that this was handled well at the time either. Um, do you think that he did this because he wanted his family to be taken care of or because, I mean, I, I guess that's the thing. It's like at the end of this documentary, I was puzzled, I guess, by why he did this.
0: Well, what the documentary doesn't really Dig into is the fact that his statement that he read that day was, I believe, forty pages long. Oh wow! And in the mid, that like there was a point in the middle where reporters just started leaving because they were like, "Is like what the fuck is this?" Like, there's a whole section of that statement where people are just like, "All right, dude, like get to what you you want to say," mm-hmm. and like everything he was saying was what he wanted to say and it like it reads like a manifesto like it's him talking about the justice system and how if something like this can happen to him it can happen to anyone right so i think that was as much a part of it as the wanting to make sure his his family was taken care of i think he also just wanted to like leave this final statement about what happened to him and set the record straight in the public's mind, I guess, which I don't think he actually managed to do. But I I think it was kind of a double sided thing. He wanted to spread like get that message out and he wanted to take care of his family. And we also can't discount the fact that he probably was mentally ill to some degree. Like like when they when they're talking about
1: Yeah. No, he was. I mean, I, I guess that's where I'm going with this is like, I have a really hard time. That's not how I want to start the sentence. It's like his values to me. This is like the most 80s story I've ever heard. Yeah. Like that. That's kind of where I want to start with this. It's like he invested in the American dream a hundred percent. He believed in the greatness and the infallibility and the perfection and the purity of the American dream and the justice system. And as a politician, he believed that if somebody passed into his membrane of 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 work, that if this person had made it to him, that they were trustworthy. Yeah. And it never occurred to him, even up until, frankly, the end. Well, roughly a little bit before the end that people people's sins wouldn't be laid bare by evidence. Right. And, And or that evidence could be manipulated and and you know, hold up these kind of sacrificial lambs for the sake of people who did break the rules. Yeah, I think that's what makes me so like ultimately so sad about this person because he invested in this system over his family. Ultimately, in my opinion, like that's
0: kind of what I'm getting at with the mental health thing, because he had a sort of like the way they describe it. It sounds like kind of this fanatical desire to be regular to the point that he was like, that's what I mean is like the one shoveling the snow. And it's like, dude, at some point you got to let people help you.
1: Okay. So get into that. Because I think that that's really important is, you know, there's, there's a, I want to say about 10 minutes in this documentary, which again is only an hour and 15 minutes long. So this is a significant portion of the documentary devoted to how much energy he put into seeming like a normal guy, uh, which is so fascinating to me because it, it feels like he was being driven by this very Norman Rockwell idealized American. I, you know, Walt Disney Yeah. F-
0: thing. He was very idealistic. That's yes, for sure. And, and in, yeah, like even at the end of this trial, he was offered a plea deal like and he didn't take it because he was firm in his belief that the justice system works and that it would work this time because he was innocent like that's the thing too if he was guilty he would have taken that plea deal like there's no reason uh, you wouldn't have
1: our our american political history shows that that's how that works for the last 30 years yeah it's very sad i mean it's and I guess I guess it's a cautionary tale in a way that needs to be evaluated more. You know, when you assign your whole identity over to something that you perceive as bigger and more pure and knows more than you. Oh, boy. Yeah. So the
0: next big scandal, though, was what do you do with this footage? Because it wasn't on live television. No, that's, you're right. That's very important to get on the record because. It's not like he did this in a way that everyone was going to be forced to see it.
1: This is where I really become of two minds in this story. Yeah. I have to say Uh, it. The family comes out pretty strongly, which I get like 100 percent, you know, that the son and the daughter of Mr. Dwyer hold the press accountable for basically not saving their dad. I mean, it's and I'm not. I'm not exaggerating in saying that the documentary, they both say something in that.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's, I think laying any blame on the media in this case is kind of faulty. Like,
1: I no, think it's very, I think it's, I don't know how faulty it is, but I think it's very Pollyanna ish. I, I don't think it's realistic. Well, like I think the, it's the
0: media didn't force the governor to have this vendetta against Bud Dwyer. Like the media didn't force William Smith to lie on the stand like the media covered it like they sensationalized the story but it is a sensational story so there's not
1: really any other way to cover it i also think that there's like a lot of like weird cloak and dagger stuff around suicide that um i think the fear is that suicide is like beetlejuice like if you say it too many times it starts to spread i i don't think that that's true i think that if we you know I personally have never heard anybody talk about what it's like to be the grandchild of a person who killed themselves. It, it very much impacted my life. Like no, nobody ever talks about the generational trauma that that creates. And I feel like showing the, like when you watch the documentary, you see this man shoot himself. It's so human looking. It's not, there's no, there's no blood. I mean, there is on the floor, but like, there's no Tarantino, spray um you don't get to see the family react you just get to hear that the son watched his dad kill himself on on you know on live t te- you know not live well, but relatively yeah live. He, let's watch it
0: let's talk about how they showed it like yeah we haven't we haven't really gotten into right.
1: that like you're 100 right
0: like it was obviously gonna be a struggle for these stations to decide how to do this mm-hmm. and some of them i think fucked it up pretty bad Uh, Yeah, especially the ones who did air like there were some who aired the full footage and the ones who did also seemed to kind of do it at the worst possible time like WPVI in Philadelphia not only aired the entire unedited footage they did it during their 5pm and 6pm broadcast without warning viewers that it was coming like the story basically
1: Worsen wells were the world shit like i i would need i would want a like, warning
0: imagine you're fucking watching the news and yeah, no, like they, they lean lead in with oh bud dwyer held a press conference today nope. and then you're like oh where's this jesus
1: <laughs>
0: and then no, they're actually i mentioned this earlier uh, about all the youtube videos they're actually the source For all of those YouTube videos and not only YouTube videos, but before YouTube, bud, this Bud Dwyer suicide was a big thing on like bootleg tape trading markets and their footage is where that came from too.
1: Kids today have no idea what that means. Yeah. (laughs) It was such a, I mean, it was such a small piece of media history. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it was just like bootleg, like there was a time when, you know, if you wanted to hear your favorite band in concert, you could do it by buying an illegal bootleg recording. And there were there was like people know what bootlegs are. If you don't fucking google it, kids, Jesus. They got this. There was another station that WPXI in Pittsburgh, they aired the uncensored footage on a broadcast during the day. And their argument was that it was newsworthy and Bud Dwyer was an important guy. And hey, man, kids are kids are at school anyway. Problem was there was a snowstorm that day. So kids in that area <laughs> were actually home and got to see Bud Dwyer kill himself on television.
1: I think it's important to note that what Adam's talking about right now is not research that was done in the documentary at all. This is all just Adam. <laughs> Doing cross, re- cross reference checking, like none of that's in the documentary.
0: No, it's a, they, they don't, they do, I mean, like they do get into, they do get into it in the documentary, but.
1: They do, but I'm I just, I want to give you credit. I'm, I'm, you know, it's important to note, you know, that here's one a, of the, go ahead. I feel like this, you know, I said kind of at the top of this portion of the podcast that I'm of two minds of this, the first part of it is like, yeah, this is this is happening. This is a real consequence. This is something that should be explored, and all these things. The other side of me is like this wasn't handled well, no. and then I have to ask myself: Does the media ever handle anything well? Like I don't, I don't know. Well, that's,
0: that brings up a, a, a interesting point. Uh, I'm I'm inter- I'm interested in your thoughts on this. At one point in the documentary. They're talking to one of the people who actually aired the footage, like a TV producer, and he's wanting, like, he, the version he aired, like, froze when Bud Dwyer put the gun in his mouth, but then they kept playing the audio, so you heard him shoot, you just didn't see it, and at one point, this guy's like, whatever, man, if that happened today, it would be on every news channel, and it would be all over YouTube, and here's the thing, no it wouldn't. Like no, CNN we just, we just a, CNN just, wouldn't air that?
1: Fucking we just had a major bombing on Christmas Day and it's nowhere. Yeah, like so what are you what are you talking about? Like post Vietnam War. And if you don't know this, fucking do some homework about how the media covers some shit. Post Vietnam War. Like literally there was a night where I think it was ABC was in Vietnam. They were doing a live broadcast uh, following a group of guys crawling through the jungle, they all died on live television. They never did that again. And if you are a person who thinks that the media handles things in a normal tempered way, post that moment, post that Vietnam War moment, the media never handled anything like that ever, ever again. Yeah. save maybe a couple live, you know traffic, you know, high speed pursuits. If, if, if the media, it happens, it happens by accident, but this, this was not done live. Like you said, this was pre, you know, this was filmed and it was discussed and it was aired how it was aired. But I'll say this, if COVID was being covered the way it should be covered with the real human suffering involved, people would be terrified, terrified. Absolutely terrified. Uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize mental illness or suicide or anything like that, but uh, what that man said is, is incorrect to answer your question. It's it's not right.
0: They also bring up the, the Zapruder film, which is the footage of John F. Kennedy being assassinated. And they're like, people, people watched the Zapruder film after Kennedy was assassinated. It took 12 years for the Zapruder film to be shown well, to the public.
1: Well, this, so what you're talking about is something that, that Dwyer's son says, and not only does he say that, you know, they'll replay the assassination of Kennedy over and over again, his follow-up to that comment is, and then they never show like his speech about landing on the moon or blah, blah, blah. Uh, those are two separate kinds of stories. First of all. Yeah. Secondly, that's not how the human brain is wired. And like, everyone knows that. Thirdly, if you're telling me (laughs) that your father's suicide is on par with the president of the United States being shot and killed in his motorcade next to his wife, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, that's, and I have all the sympathy in the world for this family. I think what happened to this, what, what happened to Bud Dwyer is wrong. I I, uh,
0: I thought it was another filmmaker who brought up the Zapruder film.
1: I thought it was the son.
0: It might have been both. It's possible. Who knows?
1: Well, well, I guess what I took issue with with the with with the perspective of the family, which is it's a tough thing to say, and so you know, I'm saying this with as much love as I have. Their issue was that the 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 media, with like you know, please you know quotations around this, uh, had the thought to. Film their father killing himself, but not to stop him. The thing is, is that like, this is the, the, what's fascinating about this moment is that this is the barrier between journalism and politics, this documentary. We have to ask ourselves, who is ultimately in charge of the things that they're doing? You know, he says, Dwyer says out loud... As he pulls the gun out of the manila envelope, stand back. This could hurt someone. He makes it very clear that he's not trying to hurt anybody in the room. Yeah. Um, It's very obvious what's about to happen. And I'm not saying that suicide is ever an answer or anything like that, but I don't think that it's fair as a person who has suffered multiple generations of this kind of action to say that it's anyone else's job to keep someone from doing something like this to themselves. Like, I can't, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? Like, what were they supposed to do?
0: Well, even beyond that, it's just dangerous to tackle someone <laughs> with a you. gun yeah. in a room well, full of other people.
1: It's like what I said at the top of the episode. Like, this was the height of Postal Service meltdowns. This was happening at the very same time where people were coming into the Postal Service for whatever reason and, and killing their coworkers. It's like the school shooting wave that happened. And I hope just doesn't keep happening prior to COVID.
0: And I think it's even simpler than that. I think it's like the question of you're driving a bus and you're about to hit an old woman unless you swerve to the left and there's 15 kids there. What do you do? Yeah. You're going to hit that old woman. Well, like, that's what, if a that's guy what... in a packed room has a gun and he's like, I'm going to kill myself. I feel like most people's first response is going to be like, okay, don't kill me. And once he says this thing could hurt people, he's yeah. not there to kill people, but he might kill you if you try to stop him from That's what a he's great doing.
1: Point. I, I think that this says more about what the situation drove him to. I mean, it's it's a simplistic thing to say, I guess, but we just don't know what people's limitations are. We're not careful with each other at all. And God knows the American political system, any political system, America's not the only one, toys with people. And I think his folly, I don't want to call it a mistake because I don't, I don't think he's a bad guy. Like, I don't, I don't think he did anything intentionally wrong here. I really don't. I I just, I don't, I don't think he, he embarked on anything that he didn't see his colleagues getting away with as well. I'll I'll believe it at that. Like, I just, you know, like when you're in corporate America and people are signing off dinners that they had with their mistress as a corporate expense, that's what everybody starts doing. It's not, I've seen it. Like, that's what happens.
0: And like, he didn't do any of that. We know exactly what he did. Exactly. We know exactly what he did. And it was go, yeah, I don't know. No. When in the word bribe wasn't even used. So like, no, it's he was a guy who was just surrounded by corruption. And somehow yeah. that corruption took him down the hardest, which is. It
1: did. But I feel like what's interesting about this story, though, Adam, is that. There's a difference between being taken down and ending it the way that he did. Oh, for sure. And that, that I think, creates the outlier of the story that makes revisiting it so interesting. Because what was that vein of hopelessness that he completely surrendered to? Which was it? You know what I mean? Was it mental illness? Was it financial? Was it? I don't know. There's no way to know.
0: It might have been revenge. Like, he might have just been like, well, if... This system Mm. that I invested so much in Mm. is going to fuck me to this degree. I'm going to get something out of it first. And he Mm. did like he got his pension. He got that money. He sure like he got to make this prosecutor look really fucking bad. Also, Mm -hmm. we didn't met. There's they mentioned in the documentary at the moment, Bud Dwyer pulled the trigger. The prosecutor's secretary was typing a letter suggesting that Bud Dwyer get the maximum sentence possible and the prosecutor had her destroy that letter afterwards.
1: Yeah, 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 he did.
0: Yep, yep, yep. America. So, so yeah, honest man, the life it's, of Bud Dwyer. It's rough. It is it's a I mean it's a dark story like it
1: Yeah, it is. It's really it's it's like starts on a high and just keeps going down. There is no
0: yeah, but that's, then
1: like nothing that never happens in this story.
0: Yeah, even like when you think it can't get sadder, then they start talking to the family after. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, it's, and I want to say this: like, I understand the position of the family and saying, like, I hoped somebody had jumped in front of my dad to stop him. Like, I, I, I just, I want to be really clear about. I
0: this. just think like, it's it's unrealistic. But I but just I don't get think where it's they're real. coming from.
1: I get where they're coming from. I just don't think. Journalists have a very specific mindset and it's not, I feel like they get, especially now there's this whole conversation about the media. Yeah. Journalists are not the same thing. And there are plenty of photos that everybody regards as some of the most important images of human history that would technically be considered inappropriate. You know, you've got the man jumping from the first tower on 9-11. You've got the Buddhist monk setting himself on fire during Vietnam War. I mean, there are so many of that you've got, you know, uh, Jackie O, you know, covered in blood at the inauguration, you know, of her husband's successor on Air Force One. You've got all of these photos yeah. that are we need more of. I think we need more photos like that are about, hey, this is what's really happening. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're surrounded, especially now, by social media and all of this shit and these like poignant photos of people staring at windows. If I see another Humans of New York Post, I'm going to barf. Like, I don't care anymore. I just want to see what's actually happening in the world. And we're, you know, because of these like false cries for decency, we're being robbed of what's actually happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, man. It's a sad it's a documentary. Sad-
1: Sad fucking story, but it's great. very sad. It's a good story, though. It's a good like, documentary.
0: People should watch good, it.
1: It's free it's a good story on Amazon to understand. If you, got,
0: if you have yeah. Amazon Prime, it's free. Watch it. We should wrap this up so we can record our Bone Con, which is our, our episode next week. Listen to this tie between two episodes.
1: Mm.
0: Both involve the state of Pennsylvania. That's as good as I could do. Because we're,
1: we're living here in Allentown. Isn't doesn't a,
0: a place called town come up? No, it's a different what was I watching last Shit. night? But it's not Allentown. Shit. Never mind.
1: Fucking love that song.
0: But uh we're covering a vintage episode of Ghost Adventures. Wow. About Eastern State Penitentiary.
1: Can I tell you that in a, Pennsylvania? A, you should listen to our thoughts on it. But B, just watch the episode on its own. It's season two of Ghost Adventures. Season two. It.
0: Man, Zach's, baby,
1: Zach's baby whole,
0: Zach's whole look is out of control.
1: I got so much to say.
0: His hair. I feel like he got hair plugs because there's no reason you would have that hair while having a full head of hair.
1: I think he was standing in front of a airplane engine. That
0: <laughs> uh, we'll was to also it.
1: blowing tap out clothing at him.
0: <laughs> we'll we'll talk about it next week.
1: I'm very excited.
0: Uh, do we have anything to plug before we get out of here?
1: I'm just, it's still me.
0: Yeah. What do you want <laughs> from to us? Listen to this show. What do you want?
1: What do you want? Uh,
0: you can follow me on Twitter, I guess. Adam Todd Brown, Todd with one D or on, pa- or on Patreon. Well, I mean, yeah, but Instagram also, but patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can uh, subscribe and get bonus episodes of all the shit we do.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Bossy Matilda. You can send me messages for Adam. I'll make sure he gets them because if we're being honest, Adam is not a social media man anymore and I'm into it. I'm fine with it. Uh, Or you can find me on Instagram at Caitlin Rosecut. That's it.
0: I do not promise to answer Caitlin's questions either.
1: No, but you can send, (laughs) you can send them to me. So I understand Your questions. Oh, also, we have a Twitter. The show has a Twitter. Pretty scary boo. Pretty pretty scary boo. Check it out. Follow
0: that too, you jerks.
1: Yeah, yeah, you jabronis. Right? I love you, though. It's okay. You're not a jabroni.
0: Good use of jabroni. Love you, too. All Mm. right, let's get out of here. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. We love you.